I have a serious question for you. Why is the world of wellness so serious? It's all about discipline, willpower, all work and no play. And to be honest, the focus seems to be much more on how we look than how we feel. These impossible standards can feel like a full-time job, but it doesn't have to. Welcome to Part-Time Wellness, the podcast where we redefine wellness and create health habits that enhance our life, not overtake it. I'm Chelsea Eithoven, a wellness coach for women with ADHD, late diagnosed ADHD myself, and your biggest cheerleader. I believe that you can have it all. You can experience a life of fulfillment, joy, and play, along with thriving health and wellness. You can have your cake and eat it too. Why else would you make a cake? ADHDers deserve to experience the feeling of thriving, not just surviving. So together we'll explore the world of wellness and life in general with ADHD. Don't forget to subscribe and let's dive in. We've got a lot to chat about. Hey guys, welcome back to Part-Time Wellness. I'm your host, Chelsea Eithoven, and on this podcast we talk about wellness with ADHD and really just life with ADHD in general. Which is kind of funny, actually, because in today's episode, we really don't even mention ADHD at all, (laughs) because the topic that we're talking about today is so relevant. It's like a universally relevant experience, and today we're going to be talking about body image. So I have a very special guest on today. We have Sarah Simpson from Sarah in Yellow, and like I said, we're going to be talking about all things body image, food freedom, food mindset. And we really just, you know, it wasn't super organized. We just kind of got together and had a chat about our own personal experiences with body image. But Sarah is a body image and food mindset coach. So she has some amazing insights, some great resources for you guys to check out if body image is something that you've struggled with. Like I said, we, we just kind of talked about our personal experiences. We talked about what body image has looked like and how it's changed throughout both of our lives. And we talked about how changing your body and changing your body image are two completely different things, which is really easy to not like not see that. I feel like for the longest time, I thought if I changed my body, then my body image would change. But that is simply not the case. So today's conversation is so good. Make sure before we even get into the episode that you go and follow Sarah. She's Sarah in Yellow on Instagram, on TikTok, and she has just so many great resources for you. She actually just created a self-paced online course called Freedom University. So check that out if that's something that you are struggling with or you would like some help and guidance with body image, food freedom, etc. She is wonderful. Now, before we get into it, I'm not actually going to share hyperfocus of the week this week because I'm going to be honest with you, the past couple weeks have been a real struggle for me. It's so funny because, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I always feel like when I'm in a good stride and especially for longer periods of time, I never feel as though the downs are going to come. It's so interesting and I know that this is a part of life and there's cycles where we have more energy and cycles where we're really tired and especially with ADHD, we're just riding that roller coaster, you know, and riding that wave of motivation and whatnot, but certain things come and honestly just knock us on our ass sometimes. And that has been my experience the past couple of weeks. I've had a lot of personal things going on on a level of things that I'm not ready to share on the podcast yet, but then also some really exciting things. So I've just been, you know, I've just been like surviving, staying alive. And today's the first day in a couple of weeks that I genuinely feel myself again. I feel I feel energized. I feel good. And the past couple of weeks, I've really just been focusing on honoring that low. And that's the biggest thing that I have recognized and realized over the past couple years of having an ADHD diagnosis is recognizing that it's okay to be in the low and stop resisting the fact that I'm low energy or I'm really just kind of doing the bare minimum because I've learned life is no longer about doing, doing, doing. It's a lot about just being as well. And we don't have to force ourselves to do anything to be worthy of living a good and joyful life. So I did lots of resting the past few weeks, 
But I do want to share with you the winner of the giveaway. So if you haven't been listening, I've been doing a couple book giveaways here and there. And this episode, I'm announcing the person who has won the book 12-week year. So the winner of this giveaway is Helpless Doggo. That's her name on Apple Podcasts. (laughs) His or her name, I'm not sure. But Helpless Doggo left a five-star review, and it says, So Relatable. It feels so great knowing you're not alone, that even though I've tried and failed so many things, so many times, this wonderful woman is so much like me, and she is kicking ADHD butt on the daily. It gives a late-diagnosed gal some real hope. Thank you, C. Thank you so much, Helpless Doggo. This, like, spoke to my heart, especially today, like I said, that I've been going through such a low, and just, it's so heartwarming knowing there are people out there with similar experiences. So thank you so much. Message me on Instagram, part-time wellness, and I will send you a copy of the 12-week year, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I have. So speaking of relatable, like I said, we're going to get into today's episode, and I think you guys are going to resonate. I think especially females, but really everyone. We have such high expectations of what our body should look like, and there's such a narrow beauty standard currently, which luckily, and I do see us moving in the right direction as a whole, as a society, but there's still a lot of us that grew up with this very specific view of what our body should look like. So I think you guys are really going to relate to today's episode, and I hope you enjoy listening to Sarah and I talk all things body image and food mindset. And one more quick reminder before we get into the episode is Check out my Patreon if you're enjoying the podcast. We have a Patreon and there is bonus episodes and a lot of audio mini courses on there all about how to uplevel your wellness with ADHD. Thank you so much for everybody who is a listener, who's left a review, who is a member of the Patreon. I appreciate you guys so much. Sending you all my love. Enjoy the show. So thank you so much for being here on Part-Time Wellness. I'm so excited to have you. So... Sarah, you're a body image and food mindset coach, so I kind of just thought it would be fun or like helpful to start at the beginning and just talk about body image when we were younger. So when was the first time that you remember even being aware of your body image or that our body was something that was supposed to look a certain way? Yeah, I. that's such a good question. I think that a lot of people have mixed responses to a question like this where you either have a really clear memory or it's just kind of the sentiment that's always been there and you can't pull something out. But if I really think back, because I've thought about this a lot, the first memory for me is I remember being about probably seven or eight years old, which is so incredibly young. And when I was a kid, I loved to drink milk. I don't know why, I just loved it. And I was bigger than a lot of other kids. I got tall really early, but I also was just wider than a lot of the girls in my grade. And I just remember feeling taller and bigger than everybody else. And I had a limit on how much milk I was allowed to drink a day. I had a three glass limit, which is a lot, but like self-imposed or did like your parents tell you to do that or self-imposed? You had that limit for yourself. Uh, No, my parents, my parents actually. So they are incredible parents. I mean, we're all victims of diet culture, but It was from them because I was bigger than all the other girls. And at the time, I mean, that was a big concern. So one of the things that they wanted to limit me on was calories consumed via liquid. And that came with milk. And I feel like in the early 2000s, we also had a big demonization of like fat as Mm. a macronutrient. So the fat in dairy. And this was something that my whole family knew about. So my aunts and uncles would enforce this. And so the memory that I have is asking an uncle of mine, like I'm seven years old, like, can I have a glass of milk? Like, can you get it for me? I don't know where my parents were, but he was the most successful person. And he like sat me down and had that tone of voice where it was like, we're going to have a serious conversation. And he was like, well, can't have any more because you're going to get too big. And just all of these conversations about me being too big in my body. And I remember being so confused because I hadn't reached my daily limit yet. I think it was like my second glass of milk, but he just assumed that I had already had more than I should. And I just remember crying and being like, I haven't even had all of my glasses today. Like, I don't understand 
And I remember that being a moment where I was just, because trauma is anything that's too confusing for us at the time. I was traumatized in that moment. And I had this realization where I was like, people see something wrong with me that I don't see. And I knew that this limit was directly related to my, my weight that was spoken about. So that's my earliest memory. And I can pull some others out from around that time. But I've looked at photos of myself since. And when I look at pictures, I feel sorry for my parents because they were, of course, worried about me. And like I said, they were victims of diet culture, too, believing that me being in a bigger body was a bad thing. But I still look at pictures and I was just a little bit wider and a lot taller than the other kids in my class. Like I grew faster and I just have a not thin body shape. So and I've always been that way. So I look at photos now and I just I hear those words and I I feel those feelings of confusion and stress and mm. it starts early and it stays with us. Oh my gosh. Like that like seriously, I like felt that story in my heart because I I can so relate, but it's just like it's insane how it how long that stuff stays with us and how early it really does start cuz I remember when I was around probably the same age, I genuinely thought that my body was so much bigger than it was. I remember these, like what I thought I looked like. And a couple years ago, I was going through some of my mom's old pictures and I saw a picture of, and like you said, you looked at yourself and you were like, I was just a little taller than the other girls, you know? And it was like, not a big difference, but in my head, I like saw a picture of myself and I was like, wow, that's not what I thought I looked like at all. And I have that phenomenon quite a bit of like looking back at pictures and realizing how skewed our body image really can be. So you have been in this career and you help women with their body image and food mindset. Like, how did you kind of get into this career? How did you get here? Fast forwarding from when I was seven or eight, having that conversation with my uncle through middle school and high school, I, I had a hard time in middle school. The girls I went to school with were just not very nice to me. Leave it at that. High school was okay, but I always felt insecure in my body, but it wasn't very tangible yet. Like I really didn't understand the way I was feeling or if anybody else felt that way. And then I went to college and I'm from Massachusetts, which is very Northern United States culture. And I went to University of South Carolina, which I did have a really good experience there. But part of that was going there as a freshman and being a curvier girl that didn't have a flat stomach with long brown curly hair. And just realizing that I did not fit the beauty standard of that culture, which is a Southern, a large Southern SEC football school, tailgate school, Greek life school in South Carolina is petite, blonde, thin women. And I was like the opposite of that. So I just remember feeling so out of place and so unattractive, honestly. And at that age, you're so vulnerable. You're so seeking your self-worth and other people's perceptions of you, especially in a new environment like college. Like you want to make friends. You want people to like you. You want boys to like you. And I had these reoccurring experiences of being the biggest girl in the friend group or the biggest girl in the room. And guys always coming up to like my girl group and them talking to my friends and never me. Or if they talked to me, it was, hey, is your friend single? Which is a shitty feeling, honestly. So through my freshman year, I also, my body changed because I was in a new place. I was exposed to a lot more alcohol than I had ever been <laughs> and <laughs> new food. So I was eating more and my body changed in the way that people often demonize as the freshman 15. So I ended my freshman year being like, I feel like shit about myself. I don't like my body. I want boys to like me. It was very centered in that. I want other people to like me too. And the summer after my freshman year of college, I dieted extremely heavily so that I could come back sophomore year like new and improved. And if you're mm. listening to this and not watching this, I'm putting that in air quotes. <laughs> but that kind of started, yeah, it's kind of just started this spiral for me of the typical yo-yo dieting, um, trying everything under the, under the sun, keto, paleo, tried veganism, everything to kind of cut calories or lose weight or get over a quote unquote weight loss plateau, which was really just my body responding to not receiving enough food. I became obsessed with the gym and it snowballed and snowballed until the end of my senior year of college, which was three years ago now. And I got to this point where I got to my goal weight 
I got to this goal weight that I had set for myself where I told myself, if you get here, you'll finally be happy. Mm-hmm. And I got to this goal weight and I looked in the mirror and I was like, I, can I swear on this podcast? Yes, you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got, I looked in the mirror and I was like, I fucking hate myself. I looked at my body and I was like, I reading the number on the scale and this is what I know I should be happy with. And I'm not happy. I fucking hate myself. And I also realized I got here and I'm supposed to maintain this now. Like I'm not, I can't gain any of the weight back. I was absolutely terrified of gaining the weight back, which means that I had to maintain all of the messed up ways that I was approaching food. So all of the restriction, all of the calorie counting, all of the obsessive food thoughts that had been exhausting me for years now. Mm -hmm. And I got to this point where I was like, this is a fucking scam. Like mm. I did the thing that we're supposed to do. I got to the goal weight. I did it quote unquote successfully. And I feel even worse than when I started. So that moment was a really big turning point for me where I recognized that I needed to heal my relationship with food and movement. I took time away from movement. I had to very slowly unlearn all of the calorie counting and obsessive food behaviors, reintroduce dairy and carbs and all of these food groups. And throughout this whole process, I realized that I wanted to take a public health track after college, like help people with their wellness. And everybody pointed me towards health coaching. So I'm going through recovery at the same time that I'm completing my health coaching certification. And I'm listening to these lectures about your quote unquote best health, but they're all kind of subliminally messaging about weight loss and being in a smaller body. And I just remember thinking like, I can't be a weight loss coach. Like I can't do it. It's, it feels so unaligned. I know that this is a scam. I know that it doesn't work. I know it doesn't last long term. And I actually want to help people with these things. So through my certification, I was like, I'm going to be a body image coach. I don't really know if that's a thing, but I know what I care about. I know what I can help with. And I know that I want to help people that are like me because I also looked back on college and realized that there's probably like less than five people, like less than the amount that I could count on one hand of people that I knew in college that had a good relationship with food mm-hmm. and alcohol and exercise in their body. So I knew that this was something that a lot of people struggle with. People don't realize that they're struggling with it. I think the biggest thing is like mm-hmm. that I've realized once I got into this career, we have such similar stories. It's insane. But like they mm-hmm. just like you said, we think that if we change our body, we are going to change our body image. And that's the scam. Like you said, mm-hmm. like it's such a scam. They're not the yeah. same thing at all. So yeah, that's just. No, I just, I love the way that you put that. You're not changing your body image when you change your body. Cause like I said, I got to that goal weight and I didn't like myself. So couldn't agree more, but yeah. So I finished my certification. I knew that this was something that people needed. And it's really funny because I've had my Instagram account. It's now my like business account, my health coaching account, but my Instagram handle is Sarah and yellow and Sarah and yellow has gone through like every evolution every season of this process for me because it started as a personal blog in my junior year of college. So it was the personal blog page and then it was a I'm on a fitness journey page and then it was a I got to my goal weight but I still hate myself so now I'm an eating disorder recovery page and then it was a post recovery page and then it was an I'm getting my certification page and now it's a I'm certified this is my my job page. And so I feel like my content has really showed my entire journey and not just that I'm someone that doesn't believe in dieting. Like you kind of just see the evolution of why I feel that way. And it's been a really like full circle moment to end up in this position and have it be my full-time job. And here we are. Wow. Oh my gosh. I love that. And that makes me want to like go on a wormhole of your Instagram and like scroll back to the beginning. <laughs> uh, like I commend you for doing mm-hmm. all that. I, I leave things up. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And that's, I think that's really important because I think like when people hear body image or body positivity or whatever it is, it's like all of a sudden there's so much one-sidedness or like divided Dividedness, is that the word? Not really. But like, Mm -hmm. it's like once you're in this camp, then it's like people assume that you've never been on the other side, you know? And it's like, I, Mm -hmm. and people are allowed to change our minds. And I think about that Mm -hmm. a lot too, especially with cancel culture and whatnot. It's like, I also have, when I started coaching, was went through a very similar phenomenon where I was like, okay, I'm 
at the tail end of dieting, like I'm done with this and I just want to focus on wellness. But like you said, a lot of wellness is weight related. And everybody that was coming to me said they want to feel healthy, which meant they want to lose weight. And it was like this very difficult thing to balance. And so I'm sure if I like scrolled back and looked at some of my older Instagram posts, I would probably cringe, but it's okay. Like that we live and we learn and we change our minds, you know? And uh, like I said, we have so many parallels in our story. And I'm curious when you were younger and when you were going through college and weight loss and all that, did you feel like, so you had mentioned that you were trying all the things, keto, paleo, you know, all different kinds of things. Did you feel at that time like something was wrong? Were you like, this isn't right and this isn't healthy? Or did you feel like this is healthy and this is the correct thing to do and I have to fit this? Uh, Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like- I do. I get what you're saying. And I think you raise a really good point, which is that I didn't think to myself, which is the truth of this is unsustainable. This isn't designed to be successful because I didn't understand that yet because our entire diet culture teaches us that- Diets should work. And if they don't, then it's because you lack willpower or you're not trying hard enough or you must be doing something wrong or it's your hormones or your gut health or X, Y, and Z reasons that it's not working for you. When in reality, that the only reason that diets are profitable for the people that create them or enforce them is that we keep failing at them so that we'll always start over or we'll always try another one. So Mm. no, I was very much a classic victim of diet culture where I didn't understand that yet, that they aren't supposed to be sustainable because if they worked one time and then you never had to do one again, then we wouldn't, as a diet culture, get the benefits of enforcing our beauty standards or selling diet products. So no, yeah, I was totally convinced that it was me. I went through the quote unquote gut health healing phase of my life. I went through the quote unquote vegan phase of my life when I was at a weight loss plateau. And I was convinced that it was because of some food group I was intolerant to and not the fact that my body just was holding on to as much fat as possible because I was starving it. And it wasn't until I got to that point where I got to my goal weight and I wasn't happy where I was like, maybe I'm not the problem. And Mm -hmm. I hear that from so many people that they don't realize that they're not the problem until they work with someone like me or they stumble on an Instagram page of someone like us. And we're talking about our experiences, which is why it really does light me up inside to do this work because there are so many people out there who think that it's their fault that they don't love their bodies or they look the way they do. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. And I feel like I, I feel like just talking to you and talking about all this is making me think of, we had talked about before we hit record, the holidays. And the, one of the biggest frustrations that I have around the holidays is talking to family about all of this, you know, or it comes up and I'm a wellness coach and they're like, oh yeah, well, I've been doing keto or this or that, you know? And it's like, it's so hard to explain. And I feel like unless you've gone through all of this, a lot of people just don't understand the need for body image work, you know? I mean, it's very relatable to think about the conversations that we have with our family going into the holiday season. Like I know that being in the place that I'm already in, I've already thought about having to have those conversations and I know how to respond. Like I have the toolkit to set boundaries and know what I want to say and know when to leave a conversation. But just going into the holidays in general is something I'm already dreading and I'm in a good place in my body image. So I know it's relevant for a lot of us. Yeah. What would you say for people who are working on their body image and they are getting out of dieting and they maybe they feel like their body has changed and they know they're about to go see family, which maybe they haven't seen in a while for the holidays. What kind of suggestions do you have for people for how to navigate that experience as a whole? Absolutely. I'm actually creating a masterclass on this right now. So it's not out yet, but it will be in about a week and a half catered towards your body image and your food relationship in the holidays because the holidays are such a fragile, vulnerable time for us. But one of the huge really big points that I'm going to teach in that masterclass is boundary setting because mental health tools like boundary setting is something that people don't often realize are connected to your food relationship or your food mindset or your body image. But boundary setting is what's going to let you either set a nonverbal boundary and exit those conversations that are going to be triggering or activating for you or a verbal boundary that's going to allow you to hopefully kind of change the dialogue around those situations because If you're anything like me, you're going into the holiday season, going into thinking about Thanksgiving dinner with your extended family, 
And if your body's, especially if your body's any different than it was the last time they saw you, anticipating those comments and those looks and that passive aggressive tone that we can get where they say that they only are saying it because they care and having a boundary toolkit to implement in that moment to either say, you know, hey, I'd prefer if we didn't talk about this or nonverbal boundaries to change the subject, excuse yourself to the bathroom, fake a phone call, whatever it is. You want to implement those not for their benefit to either teach them something or to let them off the hook for saying something out of pocket, mm. but for your own benefit to protect your body image. A lot of body image during the holidays is self-preservation. Mm. Mm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Boundaries. That's such that's such a good point because it's like sometimes we don't feel like we can, we have a way out of those conversations. So to just realize like, no, I don't have to stay in this conversation that's making me uncomfortable. Or even if your family gets into a conversation for me, it's like about dieting or about bo- – it's normally about their their bodies, you know? It's like, oh, I've gained weight or, oh, I need to lose weight or those kinds of conversations mm-hmm. that are kind of triggering for me. And to just be able to be like, all right, I can just back away and not participate is so important to remember. Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard with family because – they're not someone that's like a friend in your life where if they're quote unquote toxic, you can just be like, oh, I'm never talking to you again. Unfortunately, right. we don't have that luxury with a lot of our family. Yeah. So, but we also don't want to start conflict, which is where that kind of middle ground of boundaries come in. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and like you said, it's like, I've been, something I've been working on is realizing that everybody is genuinely coming from the best possible place. Like, we don't know what we don't know. And like you said, it's like they're mm-hmm. coming from a place of caring or, you know, just even thinking about your uncle and whatnot. I think a lot of people do think that that is what caring for your body is, is like, you know, your body has to look a certain way and you can tell when somebody is caring for their body. And that's something that was a big mental shift that I made that made a big difference in my body image was knowing that like, when I take care of my body, this is how it looks. And it might look different than it's not my thinnest. And I think people would look at me when I was my thinnest and say, that's probably when she was taking care of her body the most, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's very interesting talking about that. And so what would you say, what does your wellness habits look like now versus back then? Or what's the difference in how you take care of your body now versus back then when you thought you were taking care of your body, but there were lots mm-hmm. of behind the scenes struggles. Yeah, such a a question that I could give an answer to for hours because <laughs> like that's my whole approach as a coach is finding what I would call sustainable wellness and sustainable mm-hmm. in the sense of you can do this now, you can do this tomorrow, you can do this in a month and you can do this in 3 years because you can stay essentially on the course with it and not what we often label as falling off the wagon. I think that if there's any sort of approach to your wellness that makes you feel like you might quote unquote fall off the wagon with it, then it's not sustainable. So my habits when I was in my eating disorder and really struggling with my body image at its peak was the opposite of that. It was completely unsustainable. I was going to the gym. I don't even know how many times a week, but I was skipping college classes to go to the gym. So my senior year of college, like trying to finish strong in school, but also skipping classes to go to the gym. I would go to up to like two fitness classes a day at my school's gym and also do like my own workout. Three workouts a day is not sustainable long term. (laughs) I could do that for maybe like two or three days. Say I had a, a lighter week where I went to the gym like four to six days. Even that is not sustainable for me with my lifestyle, with my work schedule, with my mental health, with the amount that I need to sleep at night, with the time for social life. So going to the gym, like way too much period then versus now I move my body in a lot of different ways, not just gym workouts when I have the time and when I have the energy and I honor that the days that my body is craving rest or the days that my mind is craving rest or the days that my schedule doesn't allow and enforces rest. That's how it's supposed to be that day. Mm. I have a similar mindset with food where I absolutely like I genuinely love to eat fruits and vegetables, but I don't center my focus around only eating fruits and vegetables and having limited amounts of those foods, limited amounts of carbs, limited amounts of dairy. It's a very all foods fit kind of mindset where I like to make nutrient dense meals, but I also know that honoring my cravings is the best thing for sustainable nutrition for me long term. 
It helps me avoid binge eating. It helps me avoid food guilt. And it helps me just enjoy my life. I can go out to dinner with my friends and not cry afterwards because I had two drinks and the chips and salsa on the table at the Mexican restaurant. So Mm. with movement and food, I really strive for sustainability. And my body image has never been better because of that. I'm able to recognize that I'm something that's worth prioritizing. And that's why I care about taking care of my movement practice and my food mindset. But I also recognize that I'm a human being and every single day is going to look different. So I don't need to create this rigid routine for myself that I have to follow or it feels like the world's going to end. Mm. And then the other part of that is taking care of my mental health in a way that I never did before. And I'm so grateful to be alive when we are because our mental health is so much more appreciated and recognized than it ever has been. So I go to therapy. I take mental health days. Um, I'm actually taking a break from social media for the foreseeable future, but like probably the next two weeks, just because I recognize that it's a little overwhelming having it be such a big part of my job. And I give myself permission to do things like that and recognize that I deserve to feel good, even if that means that with my movement, my food, my mental health, my body image, I might exist at a higher weight than my quote unquote goal weight. That was a very mm. long-winded explanation to that question, but like no, I said, but I, I could talk for hours. I love it so much because that is, I, yeah, I, you know, I feel the exact same way. And like, I, it's like, from what you're talking about, it sounds like you're really have gotten to like body-led wellness. So you are genuinely mm-hmm. listening to your body. I don't know how we got to this place in society where what we t- deem as wellness is like this forcing ourselves into this one standard, you know? And another thing as I was listening was it's, it sounds like your wellness changed into ways of genuinely taking care of yourself that make you feel good versus making, thinking about other people. And I've never thought about it this way, but it's like a lot of what wellness, quote unquote. And it's like, I wanted to use that word intentionally in my business just because I feel like it is so used and abused, but it's like wellness Mm -hmm. is looking a certain way. And the only reason to look a certain way is for other people, you know, but like versus how we actually feel inside. When I think about when I was living in similar circumstances to like you were talking about your college experience, mine was super similar. That was the least well time of my life, mentally, physically, emotionally. I mean, just just falling apart on all ends, you know, and it's like, but now I feel completely, completely different, you know, and so much better even though, yeah, visibly people might not think that. So I no, I love that. And I, I agree. I could also talk about it for hours and listen to you talk about it for hours. So for anybody who is wanting to start this, you know, they want to start working on their body image. And I think it is a thing where it's like, gosh, it's kind of overwhelming to be like, where do you even start with it? So what would you suggest? How do you help people? Like, what's a good starting point for people when it comes to changing their body image? Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, I think that people don't often realize, especially because we have such access to social media these days, that if they're here, they're listening to this podcast, they've already started. You've already taken some steps like that by following people on Instagram who make you feel good about yourself. And if you haven't already, I'm going to advertise the other side of that, which is unfollow people who make you feel like shit. You're allowed (laughs) to do that, whether they're the people from high school or influencers or the Kardashians, whoever it is, unfollow those people that make you feel like shit listen to podcasts like this. And also, if you're listening to a podcast like this, that means that you recognize that you benefit from being in a situation where you are validated in your experience by hearing that other people have been through similar things. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's why coaching as a wellness coach is just so valuable because it's that support and also accountability, but support and vulnerability and validation that makes the healing process so much easier for us. So if there's any way that you can find accountability and support, whether it's with a coach, whether it's just following someone like me or you on Instagram that is a coach, finding someone that can connect with your story, but also give you realistic tips, I think is a really good just jumping off point. I will say that there's going to be a certain point where you might feel overwhelmed with the amount of information. So in the beginning, I would follow less people than more and kind of really focus on their messages. And once you feel like you've got a good grip on kind of their whole motive, add some more. It's hard to kind of decide for yourself what you want your perspective to be when you're getting so much outside noise. Mm -hmm. So maybe keep the following list short in the beginning if you're really starting out. 
And then also recognize that there's going to be a certain point where following people on Instagram and reading their captions and watching their stories, although we can learn so much, isn't going to be enough for you anymore. And you're eventually going to need some individualized support, which is, again, why people like you and I become coaches and we help other people because you sometimes just need that one-on-one support to be like, okay, I need to dump everything that's happened to me specifically on you and get your specific catered response to that and also some strategies to go along with it. So I kind of see body image healing as, I guess, like a staircase where we start at the bottom and we just take one step at a time. And a lot of people, eventually their staircase leads to working with someone like you or me. It also could include taking a more passive approach if working with a coach isn't your thing. I have a passive course for that exact reason because some people, it's just not in the cards for them to ever work with a coach one-on-one every single week. And they can do something that is still really beneficial, but isn't live. And it also might be more podcasts or books or other resources like that. Overall, Mm -hmm. there's so many different directions that you can go in this process. I like to look at it as kind of figuring out like, if you're, if anyone likes to drink, like figuring out what your favorite drink is, you have to try a lot of ones that you don't like and kind of make your own cocktail before you figure out the exact approach that works for you. So trying things that don't work for you doesn't mean that you're not succeeding. It just kind of means that you're weeding out the options that aren't right for you and just reassessing consistently throughout the weeks, the months, the years to say, okay, what's the best thing for me right now? Because this journey is an evolutionary one where we're going to continue to change and we're going to do it for our entire lives. And that can either be really intimidating or really exciting. And I think it's really exciting. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. It, you're so right. It is something that we do for our entire lives. Because like you said, we think that there is going to be this moment that we feel good about our bodies. And I think this is true when we're trying to change our bodies or even with working with body image. It's like, oh, I'm going to get to this place in the future where I always feel good about my body and where I, you know, and that's the place that I'm going to be when I can start wearing the bathing suit or wearing the thing or feeling confident or whatever. And it's like, you posted something recently too about like healing isn't linear. Like it is this spiral and you continue to revisit these things, these same situations with different perspectives, you know? And that's something I have noticed like over the years, you know, it's like, oh, wow. It's like, I really am just, it's the same exact situation, but I'm choosing to look at it really differently in ways that I wasn't able to look at it before. So something Mm -hmm. personally that I am continuously working on and always have to remind myself is that when I'm doing something fun, it has been so ingrained in me that like to really focus on beforehand what I look like, you know? So if we're going on vacation or whatever, picking out outfits and stuff, it's like that can be so much the focus. And I don't remember when I first heard this, but at one point I heard something that talked about the difference in how men versus women look at their bodies, like men look at their bodies as tools to use and experience things and enjoy. And women will look at our bodies like as ornaments, you know, like something to be admired. And so something that I continually am revisiting is looking at it from that perspective of my body is here for me to experience this, not be worried about how everybody else is experiencing or perceiving me. So absolutely. Mm hmm. Let's talk about that a little bit more about how healing isn't linear. What's your experience of your body image now? Like, is your body image always perfect? (laughs) Or, you know, how does that work? (laughs) Yeah. So for anyone that doesn't follow me on Instagram, like before this podcast, the one they need to after. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I posted, I think it was actually yesterday, it was super recently, something that someone had told me, and I'm trying to remember exactly who told me so that I can say thank you. But I've had this kind of mantra in my brain for almost a year now that healing isn't linear because healing is a spiral. And Mm. what I mean by that is we often view, I'm a very visual learner, so I wish that I could like pull up a a literal graph right now, but. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. And that's why that resonated with me. So we'll have to link that uh, specific video below. We'll do that. Yeah, I drew a picture of it on my Instagram story for people to screenshot too, which I can definitely put that in there too. But anyway, so when we think about healing, we think about wanting to get quote unquote better in our body image or our food mindset. We think about it as this ideally consistent upward line, which is a linear line that's continuing at the same pace. 
in reality, the way I see healing is a spiral. So a typical kind of like upside down cone shape. And the reason that I say that is because when you see healing as this idealized straight line, whenever you are triggered by something that you thought you had worked past or you have an especially hard day that you weren't expecting, you assume that you're going backwards. That's why the line model doesn't really work. On the spiral model, you basically start at the widest part of the spiral all the way at the top and you're going around and around and it's getting skinnier and skinnier as you go down. And that skinniest point where it eventually ends is your truest, most healed self. But as you go through this spiral, you come back around almost like the way that our planets orbit the sun. Every time you hit the same point in that orbit, even though you're at a deeper level of healing, you hit that same point again. And that point is a trigger point. So for example, this conversation came up because someone messaged me on Instagram, like I thought I was doing really well with my body image, but then Halloween came and I put my costume on and I felt like shit. And I thought that I had done better in my body image. And it's not that they were going backwards, that they were regressing in their body image. It's just that Halloween was a trigger point that we are coming back around and hitting on again. And they're hitting it at a deeper level. And they're going to be able to handle it better the next time it comes up because they're at that deeper level. But telling yourself that you're not making progress just because you're struggling isn't going to help you heal at that deeper level. So the way that I would identify a situation like Halloween is that person's probably going to feel similarly um, on Thanksgiving or Christmas or on their birthday or at someone else's birthday party, these social events where our body image is really present and a lot of times food and alcohol. So Mm -hmm. they now understand that that's a trigger point on their spiral and they can prepare for it the next time they come around. So this is why your body image isn't going to be perfect all of the time. My body image is not perfect all of the time. I'm very hyper aware of my body image because it's literally what I do for a living and you got to practice what you preach. And I had a day yesterday where in the morning, my body image was awesome. I looked in the mirror and I was like, damn, girl, go off. And I had done nothing (laughs) special. I had like my hair in this crazy, I just woke up kind of bun. It's so (laughs) funny with body image because it's so mental that it literally doesn't matter what you look like. But I looked absolutely insane. And something about it was like, you look so good. And then later in the day, I don't know what had shifted. I was probably just more tired. I had more food in my stomach. So my clothes were fitting a little bit differently. I had just had like a long emotional day, not in a bad way, but just emotional. And it was also dark outside and cloudy, which doesn't make my mental health the best. And I can recognize that all of those things contributed to my body image changing. And I can look in the mirror and say, okay, you have a little bit more food in your stomach. But other than that, your body hasn't changed just because your perception of it has. So there's Mm. absolutely moments where there's days where my body image sucks. Like I went out for Halloween. So we're recording this right after Halloween. And I don't really go out that much. Honestly, I don't love to drink anymore. I did a lot in college and it was pretty much enough for me. (laughs) And I was in a situation myself where I was socially drinking. I drunk ate, don't get me wrong. I love some drunk eats and I was hungry (laughs) and I was in like a tight costume. So a lot of potential flags for my body image that can make it more difficult. And I have days like that too. I still had a kick-ass day because I can dissociate myself from my body image and say, okay, how you're feeling about your body is not what you actually look like. But it's not so much about developing perfect body image. It's developing a toolbox for when those negative thoughts come up because you're a human and they're going to come up. You just want to have the tools available to you when you need them. That's what realistic body image is in my book. Yeah. uh, Yeah. And I think that's so important for so many people to hear about just hearing your experience of how I felt this way in the morning and I felt totally different in the afternoon because I remember that I used to feel like that was actually how I looked. And when I realized this is actually what my mind is thinking, and it's not actually how I look that's making my perception different, but it's my mind, something's going on. Like you said, I'm a little bit more tired. I have eaten some food and, you know, whatever. It's like recognizing that those are the things that change the perception versus what our body actually looks like, because that's so huge. And I feel like this goes so, this conversation goes so hand in hand, and the work that you do goes so hand in hand with mental health. Because being able to recognize our thoughts, like you said, going to therapy for me, meditation, and noticing what the thoughts are in my head and disconnecting, not always listening to them. You know, when my body is, when I look in the mirror and I see something and and I think this thing immediately, being able to step back and say, oh, you know what? We can move on, you know? 
And and that's not necessarily true just because I feel that in the moment. And I've noticed for myself, the more that I work on body image, the more neutral, the less I care about my body at all, <laughs> you know? So I know, like you said, you're constantly mm-hmm. in it because it's your career, but do you feel that way too? It's like the more you work on it, it's not necessarily that you always look in the mirror and feel amazing, but it's like, I'm just not thinking about my body anymore. I'm enjoying life. Like I'm like, oh, there's so many fun things to enjoy. And I'm not thinking about how I look as much. Is that your experience too? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. No, I literally, it's so funny. We're so on the same wavelength. I posted something yesterday on my <laughs> Instagram story too. That was like, one thing about me is that I will never apologize for having a camel toe because I don't have time to care about what my body looks like or how other people will perceive it. I'm going on a hike. Right. I felt that way today too. It's just, I just don't care as much. And I think that that's like what you were saying about men and women and how we see our bodies differently. That's how it should be in a lot of ways. They're like, we've been taught to care. So it's a lot of unlearning that care. Like, yes. I'm sorry if anyone's offended by my camel toe, but it's not my problem because <laughs> it's my normal anatomy. Like, it's why am body. I apologizing for that? Right. I right. just don't care as much. It's not like I look at my camel toe and I'm like, wow, that's amazing. Like, yeah. I just don't care. <laughs> yeah. And it's just disconnecting from shame that we have around our bodies, you know, and, and saying like, this isn't something mm-hmm. to be shameful everybody's bodies look different, you know, and they look different when they're healthy and they look different when they're, you know, it's everybody's bodies look different and it's okay. And I I just think I see the world moving in that direction more and more bit by bit. And it gives me such hope for where we're going, you know, and especially to have people like you out there, like helping people get to this place where they are able to enjoy the world more without feeling so, you know, the stuff can be, body image can really be all-consuming. So I just think you're doing wonderful Mm -hmm. things in the world. I want to talk about Freedom University. Tell us a little bit about this course, because I completely agree that coaching isn't accessible financially for everyone. And also, some people are really intimidated. like They just want to learn on their own or listen to things on their own. So you created a digital course called Freedom University. So tell us about that if people are interested. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Freedom University is my food mindset course. So it is a passive model, which means that you essentially buy your enrollment into the course and you can complete the modules whenever you want. It's unlimited like lifetime access to the course, but then you also have real-time access to our private Facebook group. So there's people that are completing the course in real time with you, sharing their wins, their struggles, their questions in the group, which is so beneficial and that's kind of that coaching component. So you still get some of that. But it is, I believe, six modules. It's about 20 video lessons. They're all, I think the longest one is like 27 minutes. So they're all bite-sized where you can complete them on your own pace. And then there's also a workbook that goes along with it. So that if you are a visual learner and you like videos, you've got it there. If you are someone that really needs to write things out to remember them, then you've got the workbook component that's there. But that hybrid model and then the Facebook group, kind of all of those together really hits on every possible learning style that people might need. And then the lifetime access so that if you ever want to go back and relearn something or just reaffirm something to yourself or learn it later in life when you need the reminder, it's all there. But the purpose of Freedom University is it's a quote unquote food mindset course, but you can't talk about food mindset without talking about movement and body image. So it really encompasses all of those things, it's impossible to improve your food mindset without also improving your body image in the process, at least a little bit. So we talk a lot about diet culture, body image, having a sustainable movement practice, as well as lessening the binge eating, lessening the food guilt, family and boundaries. So really relevant during the holidays, self-talk, comparison, judgment. I hit all of those topics in there in a way that works for your schedule, for your budget. It's an affordable course. There's a payment plan. I've really tried to put everything into it that I possibly can to make it the most accessible to everybody. And I don't know, it's just, I, it took me a long time to create. So it is kind of my baby. And I love having that course because I get a lot of questions on Instagram and I can always refer people to the course and say, I have a module on this, or I have a lesson on this, or I have resources. I have slides I can share with you from the course. So I've really enjoyed having that in place, but Enrollment is always open in the sense that you can always add yourself to the course and start 
from module one on whatever timeline works for you. Being in the Facebook group at any time is going to be valuable because people share, again, their questions, their wins, their struggles, and you will find them relatable. So I find that it's that really good in-between, especially for someone that might have never done one-on-one coaching before or might be intimidated by that in-person, you know, via Zoom structure. And I've gotten a lot of really good feedback about the course, both from new clients I've never worked with before or some of my former clients who wanted to reinforce their food mindset. And it's, I don't know, it's been a really good time. I don't know how else to describe it. I really <laughs> enjoy the work that I do. So being able to connect with people one-on-one that, that value my work that are in this journey in the Facebook group and through the course has just been really rewarding for me. And I really think it's a good first step or next step for a lot of people in this journey as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It sounds absolutely amazing. And you can tell that you are just so passionate about what you do and it's empowering so many people. And yeah, if you guys are interested, if anybody's interested, we'll put the link in the show notes for Freedom University. Also, We'll link your Instagram and everything. It's Sarah and Yellow. Is that mm-hmm. your handle, Sarah and Yellow? Yes, it is. We'll link all that because I know a lot of people will probably also be interested in the masterclass for the holidays and be like, because body image and holidays is a difficult thing. So that will be super helpful. Yeah. And that masterclass will be free, by the way. It's oh, just sweet. a free download that goes to your email. I'm hoping to make it anywhere from like a half an hour to an hour and you can, it'll be in sections. So you can always watch a little bit of it at a time. And even if you get it after Thanksgiving or after Christmas kind of holidays, it'll still be very relevant in the new year. So I'm structuring it to be very accessible in that way. Perfect. Oh my gosh. Sarah, thank you so much for being here and just sharing your knowledge with the part-time wellness listeners. I feel like, like I said, you are doing incredible work in this world and I just wanted to have a conversation about body image. I feel like we could keep talking for another three hours (laughs) because there's just so much more that we didn't cover. (laughs) But thank you so much for sharing everything. It was so great to have you. Thank you for having me. I genuinely could talk to you about this kind of stuff forever. (laughs) And shameless self-plug, I love to talk about this stuff. So if you don't follow me on Instagram or TikTok, then that's absolutely a place to get even more if you've enjoyed this and even more of me because... I am someone that reads all my DMs. I read all my comments. I take feedback from people. So if there's anything else that you want to learn about, let me know that you came from the podcast. I would love to hear that. And ask me your questions. Let's continue. Yes. Yeah, definitely go follow Sarah. She's awesome. 